This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Uh, for those who don't know me, uh, I think everybody knows me. Uh, my name is uh, Anthony, and uh, I'm the lead pastor of Endurance Church. Um, we're in a great sermon series uh, this month called um, Batman versus Superman. It's literally called Law versus Grace. And uh, we're going to try to communicate and clarify uh, the point of the law for the believer and the value of grace for the world. Uh, we have a brief video we want to show, and then we'll get into uh, so uh, if you weren't here on last week, uh, you know that uh, Batman represents the law, the law of Moses. And that's the original creators of Batman uh, were trying to communicate the ideal of how laws could make us right. Uh, Superman represents who? Jesus, Jesus Christ. And uh, when we talk about Batman and Superman, that's why I always wear the shirts. Superman represents grace. Jesus, Batman represents the law. Um, and we're trying to contrast the law versus grace because many people today struggle with the issue of righteousness. How is it that you stand right before God? Uh, so uh, this week, uh, well, last week we covered honor your covenant to Christ. This week we're going to cover understanding the law of Moses is designed to reveal our need for Jesus. Week three we're going to discuss the law is designed to show us who we really are. And the last week we'll discuss Trust that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone can set you free. Uh, but once again, this week we're going to focus on understanding the law of Moses, and that is designed to reveal our need for Jesus Christ. Um, how many of you here like to ask for help? Don't look. Oh, don't look. <laughs> okay. Some of you, oh, one person was brave and raised their hand, but most other you said two people. Okay. So other people like, oh. I've struggled throughout my life asking for help. I've grown. Now I ask for help all the time. <laughs> but originally I did not ask for help. I don't know why I was afraid to ask for help. Or maybe it was simply pride. But asking for help has always been difficult. Sometimes I know I needed help. And if, if I was too proud to ask, I'd probably sit down and starve. Sometimes. Because I'd rather starve than show people my weakness. This is not inspired right now. I'm just trying to be honest. Sometimes I say, no, no way. I'm going to ask for help. And then sometimes life kind of works out where you need to ask help from the very person that you don't want to ask help from. Lord, I'll ask for help from anybody except for that one person. But God, all the while is trying to work something out of our hearts. It destroys all of humanity. We talked about it on Resurrection Sunday. Pride. Pride hinders us from asking for help, even though we need help. Pride blinds us. It destroys us. It takes us the wrong direction. There's something really interesting that happened to the nation of Israel after they received the law. So we know the law of Moses has 613 commandments, correct? Well, the problem with the 613 commandments was 
they had a problem interpreting how those commandments applied to their lives. So what happened is the rabbis had to create an oral law to interpret the 613 commandments. So there's a law on top of a law, and the only person who could interpret the 613 laws were the rabbis. So it wasn't written down. But in time, Israel was attacked, and they were about to be exiled. So a group of rabbis got together and created a written law based upon the oral law, which has some 6,000-some pages. I will pronounce it incorrectly. Forgive me, I'm from West Virginia. But it's like the Mishnah. Did I do a good job? Okay, woohoo! That has almost 6,000 pages. So look at where we are. You need 6,000 pages of interpretive law to interpret the oral law in order to understand the 613 laws to make you right with God. And these 6,000 pages of laws were written in a code. So the only people who were able to understand those 6,000 pages of law were rabbis. And you're like, whoa. So imagine you had to keep all of these in order to be right with God. Now, in addition, there was another exile about to happen. So some more rabbis said, well, we have to have an extra set of law called the Talmud so we can interpret the 6,000 pages of law that interprets the oral law that interprets the 613 laws. And you say, this is madness. And it is. Because the people of Israel did not understand the point of the law. The point of the law was this, that you cannot be right with God. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much effort you put into it, no matter how good you are, you can't be right with God. But the problem was when they went to the 613 laws, they tried to build ways of grasping it, of understanding it, of making it so that they could actually do it. Now, the religious leaders thought if you didn't know the law, then you were cursed. And that's why you see Jesus having to argue with these Pharisees that oftentimes they say, well, the, the people don't know the law because they're cursed. They weren't talking about the 613 commandments. They were talking about the Talmud and the Mishnah, the oral law, and the 613 commandments. So Jesus Christ came and brought clarity. Trust me. And God's grace was made available for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. What's the point of the law? To show us we can't be right with God. So once you look at the law, and the Jewish people at that time didn't understand it, they should have said, man, I'm struggling keeping this law. What are we going to do? Well, instead of adding more laws that you can actually do, they should have went to God. They should have fallen on their knees and say, Jesus or God, help me. I can't do it. Give me strength, God, because I can't possibly do what you're asking me to do. That was the point of the law, to cry out for help because we're not strong enough. We're not righteous enough. We're not holy enough. We're not good enough to be right with God. So it doesn't matter what your sin is, 
how big, how small, how bad all sin separates from God. And if you're trying to fight, if you're trying to overcome that sin in your own power, you never will. Because in order to overcome any sin, you need God's grace. But that grace is only made available to you when you say, God, help me. But if you're too proud to ask for help, you'll sit there and wallow in your sin. You'll sit there in the mire and struggle, and you won't even realize the point of your sin being revealed is for you to cry out to God for help. Have you asked for help from people throughout your life? Is it easy for you to ask for help? Is it hard? Do you struggle with asking for help? Do you sometimes look at your problems and say, well, I'll just put them to the side. They're not that bad. Or do you humble yourself and say, God, help me, free me, strengthen me, encourage me? Now, does that mean every time you ask for help, you're going to be instantaneously delivered? I'm a witness. It doesn't happen like that. Who in here can testify? Man, sometimes we struggle with issues for years. And sometimes we pray and those things dry up immediately. But the point is, go to God. Trust Him. See, God designed the law for Israel to cry out for help. Israel received the promise that the world will be blessed through Abraham. But the problem was they needed to see how the blessing would come. The blessing would only come once they cried out to God for help. And then they were in position to receive the blessing, Jesus Christ. There's a quote that I found, and I wanted to read it really quickly. It says, It is absurd to profess Jesus Christ and the Judaizers, for Christianity did not believe into Judaism, but Judaism into Christianity, so that in this way every tongue which believes might be gathered together to God. This sounds like a, maybe a trite sermon or something that's not as on the center of the issues of life right now, like some other issues would be. But there is a movement within the church of people who are trying to actually apply the law of Moses to their lives to be right. It is bigger than you think. And my belief, this is my prophetic belief. You may not like it, but I'll throw it out there anyway. I believe before the end of days, before Christ comes back, the Jewish nation will be leading the church again. They started it, and they're going to finish it. And I think that is done to God's glory, not ours. God has shown the world through Israel that he is faithful. And as long as Israel is on the map, despite their enemies, despite hostility, we can take comfort in knowing, man, if God keeps their promises, keeps his promises to them, he'll keep his promise to me. God is trying to show the world that he is trustworthy. But the issue is, do you trust him? We can't go to the law we can't go to any other metric, any other system, any other philosophy, any other um, thought process or inspiration. We can't go to anywhere except for Jesus Christ in order to overcome our problems, our challenges, our frustrations. We get our hope from God and God alone. If you can't open your Bibles to Romans chapter 7, we'll jump into the scripture real quick and then we'll jump out of here. This is one of my favorite chapters and a lot of people go to the book of Romans chapter 7. Why? Because they're wrestling with the sin, right? So they go to that sin, oh, I'm struggling with the issue. I don't struggle. I can't. I want to do right. And all that is probably trying for them to use it so they can say, hey, my problem can be justified because Paul struggled with the same thing. 
The problem is the book of Romans, the majority of it is not even written to Gentiles. It's written to Jews. Chapter 7, 1, it says, for those who know the law. The entire chapter 7 is addressing Jewish people who understand the law. So if you're a Gentile, you can even go to the book of Romans chapter 7 to use it for your own life because it is designed for those people who are Jewish, who are trying to be right with God and trying to reconcile how does the law play into my life. This is an issue of context once again. But let's go on here to verse 7. Paul says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Why would he say that? Because as I said before, the law, in a sense, incited him, this passion to do wrong. Now, I say it before I told my son, I'm, I'm, I'm watching this case study of my son, my three-year-old son. Je- oh, my gosh, I have four sons. I almost called him Jeremiah. <laughs> then I went to Joshua. Titus. Titus, since Easter, has been looking for Oh, you, I'm not even playing. Like, I'm watching this kid. So, you know, we had the Easter egg, right? So we hid all the eggs. Somebody must have given him all these eggs to take home. So he took all these eggs home and strategically hid them throughout the house. I'm not even joking. So he comes to us, and he, and that's, and, and he has an egg, <laughs> Katrina, and he's like shaking egg, open, open, open. I'm like, no, Titus, no, no. So then he disappears. So I'm like, uh-oh. So then I go run in his closet, and he's in his little corner of the closet, and I see him candy on his face. He's eating the eggs. <laughs> we told him no. But what happened when we said no, something bubbled up on the inside saying, you can't tell me no. I want that candy. And I have strategically placed these eggs around the house. So I've been going around looking in every single hiding place. I come in the room and I see him like looking through stuff. I jump in there, give me that egg. I think I've gotten them all, but I don't know. (laughs) He may be smarter than I am. Nevertheless, something inside of him, an impulse, a desire, is being magnified because I said no. Have you seen that in your life? Maybe when you were younger, someone told you, no, be inside the house by a certain amount of time. Don't do this. Don't do that. And when you say, wait a minute, you can't tell me no. Who do you think you are? It's the same principle. The same dynamics that are at work in Titus are also at work in you. I've been through my life. I remember my dad telling me to be home before dark. I'm like, Psh, I don't need to be home before dark. Problems happen as I'm out after dark. I remember trying to leave the house when I first got my driver's license but didn't have insurance. I'm like, Mom, I don't need insurance. It's not like I'm going to go out and wreck the car. First day I got insurance, got the car. Guess what happened? Oh, Mama, I wrecked the car. There's this impulse in us. It's deeper than this transgression. The Bible calls it iniquity. It remains in our heart, and God has to give us a new heart in order to weed that out. It's called being born again. We can't earn our righteousness. God has to give it to us. That's his grace. And not only that, but after you say, after you're saved and you receive his righteousness, God's grace is still there for you, and it helps you overcome every single issue in your life. 
Some issues take longer. Some issues are quick. But you have to trust God regardless. So he says, certainly not on the contrary. I would not have known sin except through the law. For I have not known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Now, this is interesting. Paul goes through all the Ten Commandments, and he's like, man, I'm doing all these external commandments right. I'm not worshiping other gods. I'm being honored. I'm doing all this stuff. But when it got to coveting other people's stuff, he realized he couldn't stop. He said, wait a minute. And then he started thinking deeper. He's like, wait a minute. I'm messing up on all these issues. Because the issues of the heart prevail and pervade our lives, even if we're not externally doing them. Jesus says, if you look after a woman lustfully, you're committing a sin. And they were like, whoa, my goodness. Because God knows the heart. He's trying to revolutionize and radically change your DNA so that you can be right. But you can't do that on your own effort. You need to cry out to God for help. It says, verse 8, but sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. He says, I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Verse 10. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and just and good. This is the issue with our, per, I'll say our current culture. We want people to act like Christ without being born again. We want people to be like Jesus without having Jesus' spirit in them. It's impossible. If you're unsaved, you're going to act like you are unsaved. Jesus' commandments to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit, are much more harder than the commandments given by God through Moses. We are held to a higher standard now. But without His grace, His Spirit, it's impossible for us to do this. I'm not saying we need to work for our righteousness, but our ability to obey God's command, Christ's command now, is our expression of love. God wants us to love him. And I'm telling you, it's hard. God wants us to trust him. And I'm telling you, it's hard. A matter of fact, it's impossible for you to love God without God's help. So when you find yourself not wanting to pray, not wanting to open your Bible, not wanting to come to church and fellowship, not wanting to keep going forward in faith, you need to fall on your knees. And say, God, help me. Because you just found yourself trying to do that with your own strength, which was impossible for an entire nation that saw all the miracles of God to be able to do in all its existence. You need to cry out to God. You know how many times I cry out to God weekly? How many days are in a week? All of them. How many seconds are in a day? All of them. I'm constantly saying, God, help me, help my mind, help my heart, help my body, help me to be faithful to you. Because intrinsically, sometimes I don't want to. Something in me wants to do its own thing, to do it my own way. 
I don't want God's outcome for my life. Oftentimes, I wrestle with God. So what do I have to do? I have to trust God. Surrender to him and say, help me, God, because I can't do what you're asking me to do. Only you can do it, God. Give me the ability. So a couple of points we need to make, and we're out of here. Why do you need to know this? Because you need to understand the law reveals sin. That's the point of the law. Every time you put it up there, this year we've been addressing the Ten Commandments. And people don't realize idolatry is the sin of putting anything above God, whether it's your family, friends, race, culture, whether it's your car, your credit, your video games, whether it's your girlfriend, whether it's your boyfriend, whether it's basketball, whether it's football. If you put anything above God, that is sin, idolatry. Now, God's not saying those things aren't important. It's just that they have to have their proper perspective and proper place in your heart. Nothing can be more important to God. That's why Jesus says, unless you come to me and hate your mother, hate your father, hate your sister, hate your brother, hate your children above me, then you're not worthy of being my disciple. Now, he's not trying to tell you to hate your kids. He's just trying to say in comparison to your love for him, it has to be like hate because nothing could be and should be on the level of God. Humanity has always struggled with idolatry. That's why we've talked about it for two months. People don't realize, man, I have something above God in my heart. I'm more passionate about something else than God. I'm more, I'm, I desire something above God. And sometimes we're not even cognizant that we've done that. That's why we constantly press into God. That's why we constantly ask God through His Spirit to help our hearts, to surrender our souls to Jesus Christ. Why do you need to know it? So you're not trying to earn your righteousness. This is something that happens in every church, and I'm sure you've seen this several times. You get in church, and there are some people who say, hey, well, Look at that person's sin. Oh, my goodness. They, who do they think they are? They're a sinner. They need to get that right. And not knowing, they themselves are struggling with sins. They're just as bad in God's sight. And God's looking at them like, oh, that's the level you're judging them. Okay, so God says, well, I'll judge you on the very same level you are judging them. He's like, go ahead and judge. But you understand you're judging yourself. And there are consequences when you do that. No, I'm not saying, hey, you can do what you want, when you want to do, whenever you want to do in God. That's not the point. The point is our sins affect us all, whether they're in your brain a bad sin or in your brain a good sin. All sin separates, and every single sin has consequences. God has judged our sin in Christ. But like King David, who was forgiven for his sin, his son still died, there are consequences for our sins. You have to trust God. Every sin is ugly in God's sight. You need to take every sin to the cross of Christ and give other people the same grace you want for your sin when you struggle with it. The law tells us we can't be right. Forget the, the thousand pages. Forget the Mishnah. Forget, the, to not, forget all. Remember, there were 613 commandments they cannot even do. Jesus said, well, I'll put a burden on the neck you can't even do. That's why he said, trust me. Jesus said, believe in me. He said, remember me. And in doing that, you fulfill all the law and the prophets. What do you need to do? Understand the law, the entire book of the Old Testament, reveals humanity's need for Jesus. 
That's it. Oftentimes people say, hey, man, can you preach about this? Can you talk about that? I'm like, okay, maybe, but I need to preach about Jesus. I need you to understand that everything in this life points to one person. Now, if we were in another country, man, Jesus is all they want to hear about. Preach Jesus. But our culture is so diverse, and our, our culture is so oriented toward our careers and our jobs and our professions that we think, well, Jesus should fit here somewhere in the margins of life. And as long as he's in the margins, I'm good. But Jesus is supposed to be the center of life. Everything is supposed to run through him. And your life goal should be to put him in the center. Your life goal should be to put him on the throne of your heart. I can't do it for you. I pray, Lord, help Jesus be the center of their lives. I pray and hope that that's the reality because if it is, no force on this earth will be able to stop you from accomplishing what God has designed you to do. You have a particular calling in your life. And there are distractions. The Bible says cares of this world, money, riches, power, authority will draw out God's seed that's in your heart and choke it. It's your responsibility to keep your heart pure. And Jesus on the throne of your heart so you can bear fruit that gives God glory. Jesus is the only way that happens. Why do you need to do it? So you'll perceive the purpose of the law. God put this law up there front and center for all humanity to see. The law's only point was to show us we need help. The law, the Bible says, is for those people who break the law. The Bible says you don't need a law for those people who are not breaking the law. But the truth about reality is every single human being born has a proclivity, has a natural tendency to do the opposite of what God asked. So it's our job to teach people, to encourage people, to pray for people, to hope that they'll hear and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they could become new creatures and fulfill God's calling for their lives. It's a message of hope. And once they receive it, it's a message of life. So how do I help you remember? This is how I try to get a little tricky here when it comes up. <laughs> the law points, oh my goodness, the law points to me pointing to Jesus. Is that like cool? No, not can't do it every week. You can't be a thousand batter. You know, 300 in baseball, your Hall of Fame. The law points to me pointing to Jesus. That's the point. I don't know, as I grow and I, I try to get better at trying to teach my kids about Jesus, I realize they said 10% of kids who are raised in the church now, I think the statistic says, end up still believing in Jesus once they get to college. And they try to do a study like, why? Are certain kids still believing in Jesus and, and other kids aren't, even though they're both going to church? And they said the reason why the 10% stay faithful is because their parents at home take the time to strategically design their home to make them disciples, to make them followers of Christ. The parents take the responsibility of training their kids up to become faithful. And they said that is the number one mechanism that leads children to put their faith in Christ. So now me... I'm trying to teach my kids. I want to go through the, the law and tell them, you know what? 
you're a sinner. No, I'm playing. I won't say that to my kid. <laughs> but I try to tell them, Dad, he's a sinner. Now, my infant and my toddler, they don't even get that. I just try to tell them stories about, you know, Joan and Moses. My older kids, they get that. And they're starting to see. I remember my son Jeremiah come to me with tears in his eyes. He's like, Daddy, I keep trying to do good, but I keep doing wrong. I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. It's okay, buddy. Daddy's a sinner too. And he, he went, okay. <laughs> now now he's, I can't control him because he thinks, well, Daddy's a sinner. I can sin too. I'm like, no, buddy, you misunderstood. So I'm trying to get it right. I don't have all the answers at all. The only answer I have is Jesus Christ. That's it. It's Jesus. I'm a Protestant. I'm a Christian. I'm an African-American, they say. My kids say I'm not black. They say I'm brown, so I'm a brown man. My kids are trying to see what God looks like living through me. And I'm trying to show them, hey, this is what Jesus Christ looks like living through Anthony Emmanuel Bass. It's messy. I stumble. I trip. I fall. But all along the way, I have to keep trusting God's words because I'm not strong enough to do it on my own. Last point. Remember, the law shows us where we're at and that we can't get there without Jesus Christ. We have a long way to go. The goal is that God has done all these great things to show you that Jesus Christ is the only way. He's the way, the truth, the life. Without Jesus Christ, there is no hope. He's the resurrection and life. No man comes to the Father except through Him. We profess Jesus, but what's the challenge? You have to trust Him every day, the rest of your life. We say this thing over and over here at the church. Are you praying? Are you reading your Bible? Are you spending time with God? Is the Word of God something you desire? I've seen people in churches for years have no capacity, no propensity to even want to know more about God. They just want to go to church, sit on the seat because they gave their Word, because they're committed to a community. They're doing something religious. Instead of fostering a relationship, Jesus Christ says to those people that I never knew you. You're like, Lord, how do you didn't know us? We did all these things in your name. I never knew you. You need to spend time with Jesus so that you know him and that he knows you. You're made right with God by trusting him. This relationship with God stays strong when you continue to trust him. Continue to put your faith, hope, commitment, time, talents, treasure into the hands of Jesus Christ. And make sure that once you put it there, you don't take it back. It's hard. I remember when I finally got to the NFL, I'm playing for the Vikings. I remember being out there on the field and seeing Brett Favre. I had watched something about Mary early that year, and I said, Brett Favre. He was in a movie, and I'm playing against Brett Favre, bruh. And I'm like, man, I made it. And I remember saying this to myself. This is it? I mean, I worked all this for this? 
And this sense of dread came over my heart, and I said, there has to be more. And that more is Jesus. I have uncles who I, I told you, U.S. Surgeon General. I have an uncle that's one of the heads of the national defense. I have cousins who are neurosurgeons, brain doctors, a sister who has a Ph.D. and is teaching at Harvard. I have all these people in my life. I'm like, wow, where did those brains go, Lord? Why didn't you give them to me? <laughs> but this deep down is my dread. What if they're in my life? my whole life, and they never trust Jesus. What if I get to heaven and they don't? Because I never had the courage to try to engage them about Jesus Christ. God has given you a gift, an opportunity. Take advantage. No one is right before God. Every single human being on this planet needs Jesus, and that's the basis of our faith. Everybody needs hope. Tell them about God. Pretty soon his life is winding down. Take confidence. Trust him. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you for this day and these people who came to Endurance Church on a Sunday. They could have went to any church, but they came here, Lord God. And I ask you right now, Lord God, to give them the strength to carry on this week in a way that honors you. Lord, I see there are people in here who are seeking more from you. They're diligently trying. Reward them for their efforts. There are people in here, Father God, they're, they're making you more of a priority in their lives, Father God. Reward their efforts. There are people in here who are taking the time to pray more, to spend more time in your word, Father God. Reward them for their efforts, Father God. There are people in here, Father God, they're trying, they don't understand, Father God, but they're still going forward, Lord God. Reward them for their efforts, Father God. We have many questions, Lord God. We're perplexed and confused about many things, Father God, but the one thing we do know is that you, Jesus Christ, our Lord, Lord God, there are so many promises in the Bible, Father God, and some of those promises seem so far away. Lord God, bring them close. Strengthen us, Lord God, for the journey. Help us not try to be quick, Lord God, but help us endure until the end so that we hear these words, well done, my good and faithful servant. And if we do that, Lord God, we'll give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. There's going to be a young man to my right, young lady beside me, and another person to my left. And we're here to pray for you. That if you're struggling with an issue, a problem, if you need help in any kind, struggling emotionally, intellectually, physically, if your relationship with God is strained right now, then the altar is open for you. Well, this is called uh, the altar. This is a place where you, you, you give up to God. A burden a struggle, come up here and get prayer. God can touch your heart right now, encourage you. Sometimes you get depressed or discouraged. The Lord can impress you and encourage you so that you can keep going. Don't give up. You struggle to sin, keep going forward. God will fix it. You just got to keep trusting him.
So I ask you right now, Lord God, bless these people as they come up for prayer. And those people who want to come up for prayer, Father God, and who are intimidated, Lord, I ask you to encourage them too. I pray, Lord God, that you bless us, encourage us. You turn your face toward us and you give us peace, Father God. And I pray, Father God, you do that, Lord God, for the betterment of your kingdom. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong.